Welcome to Rewilding Work. I'm Paul Miller. At the end of 2022, I passed on the CEO role at the Digital Workplace Group to my colleague, Nancy Goebel, and I stepped into a new role as Chief Creative Officer. The purpose of a Chief Creative Officer in a consulting firm, as I see it, is to ensure that DWG is as creative and innovative as possible across all people, services and ideas. Not just to rock the boat for the sake of it, but to be pouring creative water into the DWG soil. In fact, I also perform this role for our clients and members, as they seem to really enjoy having a chance to step back from the day-to-day and consider where innovation, small or large, might have a place. And I'm really enjoying this new role. Today, we hear from Patagonia, not our typical guest, but a creative, insightful and relevant person on rewilding work. Patty is an environmentalist who uses her platform to highlight issues around climate change and inclusivity in the outdoors. Amusing, entertaining and inspiring. And as we know, in the post-pandemic world, work itself needs to evolve to be reimagined. But what does that look like in practice? Who's getting it right? And what can we each learn that we can apply in our own workplaces? Rewilding Work captures stories and examples of how senior leaders and changemakers are transforming and evolving the world of work across their organisations. So do subscribe and like right here so you get alerted about each new episode. Now let's hear from Patagonia, recording at Nature of Work Live in 2021. everyone. My name is Patty Agonia, and I am a drag queen. I use she, they pronouns, but I am also when the human behind Patty Agonia, and I use he, they pronouns, and I am an intersectional environmentalist, and I am a human that's just trying to figure out along with y'all. I'm so excited and honored to share this time with you today. We have 15 minutes. I promise to make this entertaining and real. And I think it's really important that I'm coming at you today as not just Patty, but as Wynn, because I want to show you my humanity and I want to tell you a little bit of my story because believe it or not, I do not just walk through the world wearing an outfit made exclusively of my trash from my time in quarantine. I also walk through this human as not just wizard, but as a muggle, if you know what I mean. Harry Potter reference. Thank you. You know who you are. But uh, I'm super excited to be here with you today. I'm coming to you from native land of the Warm Springs people in the Pacific Northwest in America. And I'm here to bring as much value as I can to y'all today in a talk that is titled, What Will Be Your Boots? But before I ask you that question, I think it's really important to tell you the story of how I learned what mine are. So I'll take you all the way back to four-year-old me in the middle of Nebraska, in the middle of thousands of miles of cornfields where I was born and raised. Um, I was born in a place that 
was a really interesting place to be a queer person. It was a really unwelcoming place to be a queer person. And I remember one of my first memories ever was being in a backyard and literally performing Cats the Musical for an audience of literally nobody. And I think it's really interesting how (laughs) that's still my life today, Uh, but I'm just doing it for a few more people. But it was a really unsafe place to be queer. It was a space where I really learned that also the outdoors weren't for me either. I was born into a culture and into a society that taught me that only masculine people who wanted to go out and conquer things and mountains did belonged in the outdoors. And so I lived very disconnected from nature. I also was raised really uh, where my queerness was like weaponized against me. And I was told that I was unnatural. I was literally told that I was not normal, that I was not a part of nature, that I didn't belong. And when I came out of the closet at age 18 and told people that I was queer, I feel like I almost went further back into the closet. And what I mean by that is I came out and people told me, well, they accepted me and we love you when, but I was also met with conditional love. It was, we love you, but don't ever do drag. We love you, but never be trans. We love you, but never paint your fingernails, never wear bright colors. And so I literally remember stepping out of the closet, but feeling in my mind, like I took a hundred steps back further into that closet. And I lived the next decade of my life, trying to be everything that I wasn't to make everyone else around me happy. And I almost put on the drag of a straight person to try to straight pass. I threw out all the bright clothes in my closet. I changed my voice lower. I learned what it was like to be a chameleon and to try to really, the first form of drag I ever participated in was just trying to pass as a straight person, even though I was out as a gay person. And it wasn't until 10 years later after coming out that I tried drag for the first time in kind of an act of defiance. And I put on these boots, these high heel boots. I have them with me now. These six inch high heel boots, these are still the original pair that I wore when I first did drag. And I put on these boots and I felt in touch with my femininity and with nature and with beauty for the first time ever in my life. And that was such a powerful experience, but it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows because eventually when people in my hometown found out that I did drag, Yet again, here we were at people saying that I, what I was doing was wrong, what I was doing was unnatural, uh, what I was doing was was not right. And I had to decide then, what was I going to do? And at that time, I wasn't strong enough. I put those boots back into my closet. I said, screw this. It's not, it's not worth it. It's too painful. So I put those boots into my closet, and it wasn't until a backpacking trip six months later when I was looking on the floor of my closet, and I saw my backpacking backpack, and I saw those boots, And I just said, what if? And I packed those boots in my pack. And when we got up to the brink of the Continental Divide Trail at the top of the mountain, I decided to whip those boots out. And I strutted for the first time in the outdoors as Patty, Gonia, and drag. And it was such a powerful experience to do drag outdoors, to be connected to nature, to dance and to be and to be queer and to feel alive and to feel like myself for one of the first times in my life. And all I'm going to say is I am so grateful that every day I decide to try to put on my boots. I think not every day do I succeed, but every day I try to step out of my closet and know a little bit more about who I am, feel connected to nature, and to ask myself what work is there to do, and then to put on those boots and to get to work. So my talk today is titled, What Will Be Your Boots?, But I also want to talk about the concept of drag when we kick it off. 
I think when people think of drag, they think of seven foot tall men in high heel boots and in giant wigs and in lavish costumes. And you would not be wrong, but I would argue to say that we all do drag. Let's not forget we are all winging it. We are all making it up. We literally are. We're all also performing for each other. Look at you in the workplace. That is totally a form of drag. Look at you with all of the other moms. That's totally a form of drag. Look at you cheering on your kid's soccer game and wearing something completely different and seeing this ferocious fangirl side of you come out. That is also a form of drag. We are all performing. We are all just trying to belong. So I think that we all do drag. And today I have to share to you in order to find out what those boots are for you, because I guarantee you, well, not guarantee you, they could be six inch high heels, but they probably won't be. I want to talk about four life lessons that I think that everyone can learn from drag queens when it comes to being connected to yourself, being connected to others and being connected to nature. So first and foremost, to kick it off, thing one, I think we can all learn from drag queens to take a long look in the mirror. Listen, let's face it, we are living in an extremely volatile world right now, not just because of the pandemic, but because of global warming, because of capitalism. And while I hate what's going on in the world right now, I think it provides us a unique opportunity to take a long look in the mirror and ask ourselves, who are we? What do we stand for? What do we believe in? Who truly are we when we take all the drag away? And I think in that, we can just start by being more honest with ourselves. We can check in with ourselves. We can be connected to the beautiful humanity inside of each and every one of us. Because I think that we live in a binary world, right? Of right or wrong, or male or female, or straight or gay, when really nature shows us that binaries don't exist. They're constructed by humans. And we also live in a world where there is nature on one side and where there are humans on the other. And we forget that we are nature. There's a reason why it's called human nature. So I think we just have to be a little bit more connected to ourselves in the beginning. Before we put on our boots, we have to step out of the closet and realize what we stand for, what we believe in, before we take any of that action. Life lesson number two, don't rely on only being pretty. What do I mean by that? It's easy to look pretty. It's easy to serve a face. We can all put on that drag in our life, but I think what's really important is other than the drag and trying to be things as we navigate through the world, we have to ask ourselves, what's our why? Who are we? What are we passionate about and what do we stand for? And most importantly, how can we intersect all of those answers? So I want you to do a little activity with me. I want you to draw out a Venn diagram with three circles all overlapping each other. So one circle at the top, two circles underneath. And in each circle, I want you to write one of these things. In the top circle, I want you to write, what are the needs? What are the needs in your industry or in your community or with different justice issues around you? What are those needs? In the second section of the Venn diagram, I want you to write out, what am I good at? What can you give? What are your talents and skills and unique things that you have access to that are tools where you can take action. And the third thing I want you to write in the final circle is what are you passionate about? What speaks most loudly to you? I think when we can take an inventory and when we can write down or write out things in each one of those circles, we can realize that, dang, 
there is so much more here. I have so many more tools in my tool belt, or I have so many more things that I care about, or there are so many more needs in my community than I ever thought there were. And I think when you can intersect those things, you can really see, cool, I have this tool. I can use it to face this need or meet this need or this thing I believe in. And we can start to take action and be connected to each other and be connected to our planet. So takeaway two is, I know we're all at work, but I want you to take a little bit of that work drag off and let a little bit more of yourself shine through. And I want you to take a look at that inventory and see, dang, there are so many different boots I can put on in my life. There's so much more work that I can do. The third lesson I think we can all learn from drag queens is to support yourself, support others, and support our planet. And that's through a connection to nature. You know, I think we hear all the time that we have to advocate for environmental justice, that we have to fight against climate change, that we have to stand up for different social issues. And I think it can all feel a little overwhelming. And while I think that all those things are true, we need action now. What I think we actually need to do, what I think the most radical thing we all can do is, is to be connected to nature now to be connected to ourselves now, to be connected to people that are people that are different than we are. Because I think that through those relationships, through that time being connected to nature, we can realize how worth it those things are to fight for. Because let's never forget we fight for what we love. I think that's really powerful. So before we take action, I think we have to fall in love. Fall in love with ourselves. Fall in love with the different ecosystems we are a part of. Fall in love with the beauty of this earth, however we experience it. You know, for some of you, that might be a walk in the park. For some of you, that might be a backpacking expedition. For some of you, that might just mean taking a Zoom call outdoors once a day. No matter what it is, I think it's capable for us to connect to nature a little bit more. So takeaway number three is we need to form a community that's rooted in real relationships And we don't just need to make a bottom line, but we need to build a healthier self, a healthier ecosystem, and a healthier planet. And fourth and final thing is all around allyship. I think, you know, it's the year 2021. We've heard the word allyship more than ever, but I think... When we hear it, we view that people just claim it as a title, like I am an ally or this organization is an ally, when really I don't think that the word ally is a noun. I don't think it's a title. I think it's a verb and I think it requires action. So I think in the past three things I talked about with drag, it's all about really coming out of that closet and then starting to identify, ooh, I have these different pairs of boots I can put on. But this fourth point is all about the action we take when we put on our boots and realize that there is work to do. And I think the only thing, the most relevant thing to this point is just that we all have work that's available to us and only to us. We all have access to unique people and unique talents and skills and places across the world to take action for one another to ally ourselves first and to ally our planet as a collective. So I really think that the future of our planet and of business and of ourselves and our own lives will be built on actions of allyship to others and to ourselves. So I want to ask you, what are your boots? And I want to challenge you to put them on every day. And I want to encourage you that you putting your boots on and being unapologetically you and strutting through that world will matter and makes such a difference when it comes to collective action. And I'll leave you with this, a quote from a far smarter person than me. It's by Mary Hegler, an incredible climate writer and activist. And she says that the thing about climate 
and about nature and connection to it is that you can be overwhelmed by the complexity of problems or you can fall in love with the creativity of solutions. And I think we can put action to that quote by realizing that we can all be a part of a solution through the work that's available to us and only to us. Being who we are, coming out of that closet, no matter what that is, putting on our boots and fighting for this planet and for other people and for ourselves and realizing that it all matters. So here's to connection, a little more connection to who you are as an individual, connection to the ecosystems you're a part of, connection to this beautiful planet, the only planet in the world with a Beyonce on it. And I wish you the best. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Patty. Well, that was another different. I mean, we're, our headliners have been amazing. Honestly, so interesting. And and there's Patty talking about you know being in the manly Midwest of America and and feeling best when stilettos are, are put on in in the wilderness, which for me is. You know, I was out in that wilderness looking for wolves <laughs> and definitely stilettos was the furthest thing from my mind, you know, feeling comfortable. But but what did, what was your reaction to that? Paul? Well, I, I just love the fact that we've listened to Jeffrey Okamoto from the IMF and then we've had Patagonia and, and both of them talking about the power of nature in work, the power of nature, the importance of nature. And I think it it's, tells us that these ideas can translate through different environments um, and have different meaning. I, I, I mean, I thought it was it was an, another really personal story, a bit like Poppy Jamie that we had uh, a couple of days ago, and, and the fact that what um, Patagonia's life has brought, or what Wynne's life has brought, has has led to this this evolution and. Uh, her finding this experience, this identity, this sense of themselves and this beautiful idea that as soon as Patagonia puts on her uh, stilettos, you know, so what are your boots? Yeah. I think that was the expression. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Priya? So I'll give you a very uh, open response to that. I mean, when I was listening to Patty, it was like a dance you know, she was uh, seesawing between asking us some really deep, pointed, thought-provoking questions. And then suddenly she would draw you into um, how that's connected to this whole uh, paramount, what is, it's so paramount to find meaning in the world that you're living in, right? So it was almost like a dance because she would ask these questions, put you into this um, peeking inside moment, and then she would sway you into the outdoors and talk about nature. So it was it was just a very moving interview. But you know, the whole fact about connecting to your inner nature and using that to build that connection into the nature outside, but also to the world, right? The three different points in such a short time and such powerful use of metaphors, um, you know, how she talks about we all have closets. And I think so, so, that was such a strong statement, be unapologetically you. 
And so I think that um, I just love the interview. Mm. Yeah. But it sort of reminds me, you know, that you do get organizations. I mean, Apple comes to mind, certainly under Steve Jobs, as, as an organization that, that was itself, that it found its, its kind of unique voice in the world. And I think it's an interesting thing to try and translate from the individual to the organization, which is the thesis. If individuals are alive and the collection of individuals called organizations are alive. Um, and I love that, that, that kind of mixture. But there was a real disparity that we saw in that story of <clears throat> here am I who I'm quite clear, I think, on who I am. But then a look at the culture and, the, you know, the framework around and saying, but this, this, I don't fit. There isn't a place mm. for, that I, that I fit in, into this jigsaw puzzle. And then a, a, a kind of final resignation of, well, okay, I don't fit, but I'm still being the shape. Mm. I'm, you know, <laughs> and, and, and so now the framework is going to have to fit around me, mm. which so often I think with, business each individual has to fit into the framework yeah and then i i don't know what you think priya but but you get organizations that then will create their own sector you know they'll create their own identity if you think of somebody like uber or airbnb um i mean as they've grown they've gained controversy and so on as all organizations do but the fundamental idea of both of those was almost impossible so for Patagonia to be who she was and then to become who she became is almost like an impossible step. But I think you see it in organizations where they carve out areas of activity, business services that then become so influential. And and I mean, that happens in, in, in the business world like that, doesn't it, Priya? Absolutely. In fact, um... You know, Patty kind of almost uh, touches into this entire concept of um, intersectionality and the whole idea that we don't look at others in one category. And there are, the, the reason I'm calling this out is, um, in my own experience working in different organizations, um, I've seen a shift where this whole aspect of uh, neurodiversity in hiring uh, bringing in talent is has become such a crucial thing, and like diversity is no longer a, um, a checkbox, right? Um, companies are being very intentional. Employees are being very intentional about working for companies that are uh, deliberate about um, diversity and inclusion. And so, when you see that translate into sort of the day-to-day -day operating model of the company, like how you hire, who you hire, what efforts are you doing to bring that, the ability for you to expand. Uh, to hiring for neuro neurodiversity, you start seeing that shift, complete shift. And I think uh, that's that's where Patty is going as well, how she talks about this is human nature. Uh, we are not binary. And um, I just love how she brings that to her own examples. Yeah, and there's some great, the, the, the lessons that, that she had, you know, looking in the mirror and, and so on and, and, and trying to apply these things to each of us and that idea that we're all, kind of drag queens, really, you know, that, that so I hadn't really thought of myself like that. But, you know, the, the idea that, that we're all at some level uh, performing, but we're also trying to find our own voice in the world. We have so, so many roles, all of us. 
I think. And so it is a huge challenge to be an individual. And you come back to that. I mean, almost that idea we talked about um, on day one, it might have even been, I can't remember if it was day one or day two, about the idea of all of the ants together making a bridge. Well, which one of those was an individual, you know? Mm. So we, I think there is a constant sacrifice being made for individuality in order to fit, which is something that that connection, that fitting is so important to us too. Um, and we see that in the natural world all the time, especially in, in herding animals and animals that live in structures, whether it's a bee or an ant, that you, I mean, I, I, you know, I see it in wolves. You're not nearly as powerful on your own. And yet do you have to give up some individuality to remain part of an organization of, mm. of other humans in our case? Well, I mean, people have described that the period we're in is the movement from I to we. And, and if we don't get that, you know, we experience the consequences of it. You know, you see it with people kind of panic buying if there's things supposedly running out versus actually looking after we realise we're only as strong as our communities, we're only as strong as our neighbours. That that sense that in the world of work, the reason why people are le leaving is because of a lack of belonging, a lack of community. So the kind of answers are there, really. Yeah, I like, I like the way... Um... Ali talks about like allies now work, and she she talks about building allyship that requires action. I think uh, that was that was powerful too because you know uh, this is where she talks about you wear your boots and we all have access to work only the kind of work that that's unique to us, the kind of intersection of who we are our community, the talent we bring, um, that, again, this is another theme that I'm seeing as people are giving you strategies to self-reflect, but also um, strategies for self-acceptance. I think if you're bringing your whole self to work, which, which I think is no longer an option, you've got the, the, the organizations that allow you and give you that space to bring your whole self to work is are the organizations that are thriving. And so in order to get to that, she goes and asks you to go back to your roots. And this concept of roots also in the book that keeps coming out, uh, Paul, in, in Nature of Work, is so important. I see this theme even in other interviews where the roots are your legacy and give space to build the shoots, right? And when they start building is where you see that rich um, biodiversity. And I think um, that comes out very strong in this interview as well. So the concept of active is something I really liked. Yeah, I think we've been through that age of, of productivity and and kind of exponential growth, which doesn't really pay any attention to the past. You know, you'd get those Hollywood films where somebody would come in, slash and burn the company, destroy the community, and then the kind of blowback had come. And we're starting to see that, that if you don't have that understanding of your past, of your roots, I think that's beautiful the way you put it, Priya, that you, you can't actually grow the future. But Kind of, I'm interested, Priya, what, what you think that, because it strikes me, the, the ideas we're talking about here are really ideas about social change, economic change, political change. This is not supposed to be the world of work. How did we, how did this all of a sudden become the conversation? 
Yeah, uh, great. I think that's a very provocative question because um, work is work is no longer your nine to five. Work is no longer a separate part of your day that's being carved out. And especially, I think living it every day as we are today, working from home with our families and pets all around us and with the demands of uh, little kids, right? You're in a meeting, as simple as that, you're in a meeting and um, I was with a colleague in my my past job and we were in an important meeting and the kid is getting potty trained. And this is a real life scenario. And like, how do you as somebody who's watching all this happening in front of you, you know, it, it just evokes the empathy out of you. And, you know, somehow this situation, in a, uh, if you look at it and you give a positive spin to it, that's the muscle not everybody had had the chance to exercise. And now you have to because these are your colleagues you've been working for so many years with, right? And so it almost it, it self-creates this uh, the self-acceptance. Yes, I can accept them. I can listen to dogs barking. I can listen to cats mewing. I can listen to your kids and yet we can get so much stuff done. So it's almost like work has become part of life. Life has become part of work. And it, it's it's kind of settling into that. And I think that'll be the future. Yeah. Mm. And it's and it's human. It makes, for me, if, if your dog's barking and I'm accepting that, I know you're going to accept it when my kid starts crying because his brother just whacked him around the head. You know? yeah. <laughs> we've, got, we've got to stop it there for now, but it's just such a great discussion. Thank you. Today's guest is different to the senior leaders in organisations that we normally have on rewilding work. But I do hope we can include unexpected voices and fields so that we can all learn from these alternative perspectives and experiences. I found myself personally very drawn into Patty's story and her vulnerability. Here are the three seeds to plant based on what Patty talked about. One, take a long look in the mirror and look for the you that is beyond and beneath the surface character we each play in work. Your authentic voice and being matters and has power and talent in it. And it too often gets hidden away in the workplace. Number two, support matters. Support for others, gaining the support of each other and working collectively through an interplay of support. We are stronger together. The third seed is that humans are part of nature. We talk about human nature and when we connect, we need to see the natural world and our own nature as part and parcel of each other. Next time, we're joined by Nicola Millard. Nicola is a principal innovation partner at BT. So do subscribe and like right here so you get alerted about every new episode. See you next time.